<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, dear listeners, have we got a tasty treat for you. We're going to, <laughs> We're going to set off on our own little Bonnie and Clyde moment, road tripping down the endless winding roads that twist through the wide open American Midwest. It's the 80s, so we're popping some Duran Duran and Kiss cassettes into our beat-up truck and using an old-school map. Remember those? No, (laughs) really. Remember those? (laughs) Yes, I remember not being able to fold them back up. You can never fold them the way they're supposed to be folded. Ever. (laughs) They were wild. People did that anyways. (laughs) The sun is breaking, bathing the bleak little towns we pass through in a warm, iridescent light. It's a journey of self-discovery, of belonging. But some of the roads on which we drive take us to dark places. We're led there by a scent on the breeze that cannot be denied. The fragrance of our next meal. Oh, how intoxicating it is. How irresistible. How ill-fated. Our film this week is Bones and All, the latest from director Luca Guadagnino, and starring Taylor Russell, Timothy Chalamet, and Mark Rylance. Taylor plays Marin, a teenage girl who lives alone with her father. When she goes to sleep at night, he locks her in her room, but we soon discover why. See, Marin has a hunger that she cannot resist, a hunger for human flesh. And time and time again, she gives in to her urge and eats some part of somebody, and the father has to pick up and move them away to start new somewhere else. Eventually, he abandons her to find her own path, and this is really where the film kicks off. Marin sets off on her own and is approached by Sully, played by Mark Rylance, another cannibal who could smell her from an inhuman distance and lets her know that she's not alone. But Sully is a creepy old man whom Marin finds deeply unsettling. So she leaves and soon meets Lee. That's Timothy Chalamet. Lee is a teenage dream. He's beautiful, self-assured, perfectly emo and damaged, and also a cannibal. And he becomes Marin's road trip partner, romantic partner, and mirror, and guide to her new life. But is this new life Michelin star delicious, or has it gone off? Bones and All asks the question, how do you take your meat? Medium rare, rare, or raw and screaming? (laughs) (laughs) First impression, Helen. I knew very little about this movie. I knew it was a cannibalism movie with Timothy Chalamet. That's pretty much it. I knew that Luca Guadagnino directed it, but I had forgotten that. And then I was sitting in the theater and I was like, oh, right, this is Luca Guadagnino. So as the movie started, I was just sort of thinking about him as a director. And then I started thinking about Call Me By Your Name. And then I started thinking about Army Hammer and how he has like cannibalistic tendencies, apparently, according to all the weird shit that came out about him. And Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? That, that was you, one of them? Yes. Jesus, that was a big fuck. part of it, of like the messages he was sending to women. It was like, oh, I want to I wanna eat you. And like, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm 100% a cannibal, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so my brain just like started going down that path of like cannibalism in pop culture. <laughs> I guess I don't know, but it, all of that stopped once she gets to the sleepover. Uh, mm. Then I was like, "Oh, well, I have to pay attention to what is happening here." Uh, the I mean, we'll get into that, but but yeah. So my mind was kind of going in a, a hundred different directions, and then I got very much pulled into the film at a particular moment. <laughs> Yeah, Sinclair. Well, I haven't actually seen Taylor Russell in anything before, so I don't. I th- you've really... seen Waves, haven't you? No, I didn't watch Waves. Oh, I thought you did. No, so I. Okay. She's new, honestly, new to me. Me too. I, yeah, I don't have a relationship with her at all in film, and all I really 
know about her is her high fashion moments with Timothy Chalamet yes. on the press tour <laughs> for this movie, which has been really great. Oh, yeah. Uh, to be honest. But when this started, the the clothes really stood out mm. to me right away mm-hmm. because I actually didn't know what time this was set mm-hmm. in. And I actually thought this was the 90s. I thought I it was the too. 90s, too. This yeah. this was honestly screaming 90s Americana mm-hmm. to me, but it is actually in the 80s, which yeah. it yeah. does make sense because the hair is very large <laughs> in, yeah. in this movie. But yeah, it was this was really reading to me as 90s Americana. Mm. Early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it's not, it wasn't, it was the 80s. So um, I was really taken by the style of it all right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I For me, it was like a bit of an odyssey for me to get to see this film I had this whole night planned it was my only free night you know I'm here visiting in Toronto my schedule is packed I went to the Magic Lantern cinema to see it but it that cinema is closed on Wednesdays so I had just looked up the like show times mm. and I mm-hmm. didn't realize that the theater was closed that day mm. so I had to trek all the Jesus Thunder and way up to Yorkdale Mall <laughs> to yeah. see it um, but we arrived, we got there. I, I don't know how much I missed. We arrived as the dad was, as she was going to bed and the dad like locked the door behind. Okay. Mm. You didn't miss much. I, I, my instinct is that I didn't miss a lot because yeah. then, you know, then we get the sleepover sequence yeah. and then the title, se- mm-hmm. the title mm-hmm. sequence. So I yeah. thought, okay, maybe we landed right at the beginning. Um, but yeah. right at the beginning of this film, I was also taken by the style. I felt like this gave us exactly kind of it's a, a really interesting launching point for Marin, this character, because mm-hmm. we know her big struggle that she's going to be contending with through the film mm-hmm. right off the bat, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that when a movie kind of gives that to you right off the bat. So, you know, sort of where you're situated <laughs> and that opening scene at the sleepover was fucking. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was good. So, yeah, I was hooked um, mm-hmm. from the get go. Uh, I mean, we are going to be spoiling this movie, too. Uh, spoiling your meal, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. So tune in when you have actually seen the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we just jump right into storytelling. Um, yeah. So this film is based off of a book. The screenplay is written by David Kaljanic and the based off of a book by Camille um, D'Angelis. And I don't know anything about the book. You, I believe you do, right, Sinclair? Well, I mean, I didn't read the book, um, but I do know some things about what they decided to change versus what was originally in the book. Um, So it's a 2015 book by Camille DeAngelis, and it's a young adult book. I know. I read that, and I was like, young adult? (laughs) Yeah, and it's so funny because young adult stuff is quite, can be quite saucy and gory and it, it's it's really interesting actually how far some young adult books yeah. can go even if you think about hunger games which is young adults that, this that's makes sense. I guess, like twilight and stuff yeah yes. yeah think about the like feverish hormonal hunger of young adults like it yeah. kind of tracks to me i guess book. so this yeah. just feels so much more mature than that this yes. matter i suppose <laughs> yeah. well so basically in the book i think there's there's more of like a fantastical element oh, to it where they're not necessarily seen as cannibals they're kind of considered like quote ghouls oh. the eaters um oh. so there is more of a fantastical world Interesting. surrounding it okay and apparently sh- the the author of this book actually really liked the changes that they oh, made for cool. this movie which doesn't normally happen. Yeah. And she thought it actually really expanded upon mm. the themes mm-hmm. that Interesting. were were in the book. And having it be c- kind of fantastical um the, the book does m- maybe help explain why Marin got out into the world and and wasn't really interacting with too many people in the world she was more just being discovered by these eaters right away Mm -hmm. like I found that kind of kind of jarring in terms Mm -hmm. of storytelling how she just left her dad 
ran into an eater right away. There's mm-hmm. nobody else around. And then runs into another eater right away. Mm-hmm. They run into another eater right yeah. away. Like she basically only in- interacts with eaters. Right. Or like prey. Once yeah. she leaves her father. Yeah, there's almost like a bubble to this group of people. Mm-hmm. And you don't actually see her interacting with too many other people in, in society, mm-hmm. which I guess is supposed to show how these particular characters are on the outskirts of society they right yeah they are outsiders but it mm-hmm. does stretch the belief a little bit because you think, I think okay, so but too, she's yeah. 16 or whatever so she's never encountered one before no one has ever mm-hmm. smelled her from half a mile away before mm-hmm. yeah and it just happens so quickly when she's right. suddenly out on her own yeah so i mean that might be a choice in terms of you know storytelling but i felt like it was something that didn't quite make sense to me necessarily yeah i i mean i really like that this doesn't play fantastical at all Mm -hmm. i like how naturalistic it is because it forces you to accept this concept as a metaphor i suppose right like Mm -hmm. the whole time i was watching this i'm like okay what is this a metaphor for um and i started to think is it metaphorically representing sexual abuse or pedophilia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it is so unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But by the end of it, I felt like, I think it, to me, I felt as though it's an, a metaphor for just the darkest parts of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Or also like drug addiction. My, when I was yeah. going through it, I was thinking, okay, it's an allegory for drug addiction. And then mm-hmm. Emily, who I went to see it with, she was like, are they like pedophiles? They're meant to be like pedophiles, That's right? th- mm-hmm. That was the strongest and, feeling I got. Yeah. Was, was and it pedophilia. totally makes sense at that point. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's people that are doing these like really taboo things, mm-hmm. not quite fitting into this societal mold. Mm-hmm. Um, one Thing that's different in the book is that she's actually going to find her father in the book oh. and in the movie they changed it to be her mother huh, and there are a lot of themes of like a woman coming to age we've seen female sexuality represented in horror a lot mm-hmm. and wow. <laughs> yeah and it is this idea of okay she's kind of coming into her own she's confused about her body and she doesn't really have that female figure Mm -hmm. to help guide her in this case it was her mom who also was a cannibal as well Mm -hmm. who wasn't there to guide her through this coming of age process through this you know awakening yeah fundamentally this is a story about Marin, right she is our central figure and she's our protagonist and the other you know everyone else is kind of adding to her story yeah and for me the first like two-thirds of this movie had me hooked because i was going along with her journey and then it all kind of fell apart for me Mm -hmm. um i i liked that the bit where it was you know it's her discovering that there's other people like her and trying to figure out where she fits into the world and and experiencing this first taste pardon the pun of love mm-hmm. um and and ask kind of reckoning with those questions a bit about like can she be a cannibal and also an like an ethical human or mm-hmm. like does it make her a bad person if she gives into this thing that is her natural state that she can't change that was kind of cool but by the end i feel like that got lost mm-hmm. the questions of more morality the ethical dilemma of it all sort of got lost in in the plot just taking over and it being Mm. a bit contrived and rather than character driven and um it being about this like love thing versus the real moral questioning here which is much more interesting Hmm. that's interesting i mean i i took more to people connecting over this shared darkness i found that to be a more of a central theme than like her ethical dilemmas over being a cannibal mm-hmm. um but something i thought throughout this entire movie is i was like you could take cannibalism out of this movie and it would still work like it could just be two drifters yeah i th- and like you could like it could still yeah. work like it adds some obviously adds something to the film that that's there but and when 
Sully comes back into the film and we realize he's been following her. (laughs) And then she walks into the diner. I thought, you know, you probably could have left that scene out. And then when Mm -hmm. he comes back again at the end, I was like, oh, those the reappearances of that character didn't really work for me. Like I actually felt like he his character reappearing could have been left out. I didn't need it. That's what I meant. It it felt like Sully comes back and it's just like, okay, now the we know that the film needs to end in tragedy and ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Um, So he is almost this like ex machina thing where he's just going to come in and fuck it all up. Like he's only back because the plot requires it to devolve into chaos and bloodshed at the end for the Mm -hmm. shock value and style over substance. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with you, actually, Helen. I think it's really interesting to imagine what this film would have been mo- if you just took cannibalism out of it altogether and just made them kind of drifters. Mm-hmm. I think that could have been really cool. Yeah. Like, I think just, it could just work. Outcast. Yeah. It would work, and I would have yeah. loved it. So then that begs the question, well, then what is Why? the purpose? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. It usually yeah. has to have some sort of driving force, especially with lovers on the run. Yeah. And this is, like, very influenced by a lot of lovers on the run films like Mm -hmm. badlands Mm -hmm. very much so bonnie and clyde but it's tricky to do because we can't fully connect to them because we don't really agree with what they're doing so Mm -hmm. there is a distance between us and them and Mm -hmm. this one was very much presented as a love story i think that we were supposed to feel a Mm. little bit for them and I didn't. I was like, when I they were in that either. scene at the end, I was like, they're all murderers. <laughs> they're all doomed. I, I was yeah. like, someone just light this whole house on fire and burn them all to ashes. I did yeah. not care. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I was trying to figure out if maybe this is Luca Guadagnino kind of tackling Americana when he's right. really more of a European style director. He generally does movies that are about like European intellectuals. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. kind of sitting around, <laughs> philosophizing, eating. <laughs> and he's just really moved he's, into this. Is what this. he thinks of America. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, I think that a lot of people, directors who do Americana have really experienced Mer- Americana. I don't know if that makes a difference or not. But he has kind of moved into this body horror element yeah. of his career. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like there was a disconnect here and it did leave me feel a little bit empty now there was a ton of things that I actually liked about this movie but I found that the storytelling ended up being a lot more visual and lyrical Mm -hmm. but and I don't want to use another pun but it was a little bare bones (laughs) it needed a little more meat it needed a little more meat it needed a little more meat (laughs) yeah stop yeah um one thing that is explored is female sexuality and we were touching Mm -hmm. on that a little bit before but generally horror is used to show the oppression of women or women coming of age or women Mm -hmm. having this sexual renaissance and you know raw came out which focused on cannibalism and a girl coming to age and I think that Luca Guadagnino, he is a male director, but he has proven that he can do films about a woman reaching some sort of renaissance Mm -hmm. or her sexuality. Um, I Am Love is Mm -hmm. all about that. Uh, He also did Suspiria, which is incredibly Mm -hmm. female. Very female, yeah. But there was something in this that just didn't feel as explored and lived in and deep as his previous work i agree for me too yeah for me too. i i didn't necessarily feel like i didn't want them to succeed but i think it's because i was really viewing their struggle purely as metaphorical yeah i mean i i love metaphors in movies but i i do find it interesting how we apply metaphor when should we apply metaphor what are we comparing (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. very important there's something about comparing cannibalism in in raw to female sexuality that felt oddly empowering and it it seemed to work um this one 
an outsider, I think, is interesting. Mm. The drug addict theory is is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this was shot in the 80s, which was the Reagan era, which was a very conservative time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone was being very traditional. There was a lot of darkness that was bubbling under the surface. And it was being covered up with this idea of this perfect American family. And the outsiders just kind of being swept under the rug. And that is very interesting. But mm. there's a, a lot of talk about this being compared to like queerness. Like a mm. queer allegory. Yeah. Yes. And I can't really get behind that. There might be no. queer elements in this film, but I think that it we have to be careful when we're comparing outsiders and there yeah. are very extreme outsiders that yeah. I think it's kind of a dangerous comparison sometimes to lump all outsiders Absolutely. in the same category. I agree 100%. I don't think I did not take Lee and Marin to 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 represent queerness. Mm-hmm. Um because there's nothing ethically or morally wrong with being queer. Exactly. And, and Luca has explored queerness in such like a delicate, mm-hmm. graceful way yeah. in mm-hmm. the past. So I did not get that vibe here. I get that it's the 80s. I get that Timothy Chalamet, his character, has that queer moment, right? Mm-hmm. Has that gay moment where he lures the guy. But I saw that as, you know, if, if he is bisexual, he didn't seem to be burdened by any type of questioning no, or no, no. whatever about it. Mm-hmm. And if he's not, he just saw, he just recognized his power as being like a beautiful twin yeah. that was purely <laughs> predatory. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think it's I, also the idea of taboo, you know, that mm-hmm. was yeah. once considered very taboo, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. here we are now. And I was going, I was thinking this the other day. I was like, is cannibalism on trend now? You know what I mean? We had the the Dahmer series. Yeah, with the Army Hammer stuff. And it's kind of strange how this this cannibalism taboo is kind of snuck up. And I think it has to do with just wanting to push boundaries more. And like, okay, what's the next thing, right? Yeah. But generally in film, cannibalism has been in movies where there's been a, a desperation. Right. Yeah. You know, you've been stranded somewhere. Yeah. Alive. Elves, oh, yeah. Or, you know, you've experienced a famine. Like cannibalism has been associated with desperation. And it's just recently that it's kind of become this metaphor for sexuality, mm. you know, and it's an interesting thing. So well, it's in this category of like where we, we have to kind of keep the boundaries on the metaphor and the comparisons, right? I, think, and I not agree. Lump them into the same thing. <laughs> and and the other thing is that in this film, like they didn't, you know, they ate other food. It's not like they're vampires <laughs> who could only who subsist only on blood, blood yeah. in order to live, right? So they that, yeah. they had a craving, and they but they also you know ate meat and drank milk and well, whatever else. Yeah. So like. It's it's a little it makes it very much more clearly a moral dilemma that they're faced mm-hmm. with because they're choosing this. Mm-hmm. They're choosing to act on their urge rather right. than the alternative. Yeah. And also I did look this up and medically you could not survive by just eating people. I love that you Google that. <laughs> I did. Yeah. You can't like there's just so many things, <laughs> I hope that you, sicknesses I hope you and had a... whatnot that you would get from eating people. God, your search history, I don't even want to know. I hope you had a VPN on Sinclair. Yeah. That'd be the coming one, for the you. The one thing I read, it was like, <laughs> cannibal expert discusses if you could survive just being a cannibal. So, okay, <laughs> I'm actually curious why you can't, because there are some people who literally only eat meat. There's some sort of, like, mad cow-type disease oh, okay. that you get from just, like, pathogens and shit like that. Got it. Got yeah, it, there's it, just shit it. like that. Like, there's, a, like, a brain disorder. There's all this stuff of, like, you just wouldn't get the nutrients that you... Right. Unique. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, why don't we move on to performances? Um, yeah. So f- for me, I, just like you said earlier, Sinclair, I also wasn't familiar with Taylor Russell. I was b- actually blown away by her. She's incredible. It was, oh my God. It was such a naturalistic performance. It's just all her interior world. She's so grounded and like confident in her delivery. Like, she gets behind her decisions, and she's confident mm-hmm. enough to just be still and trust that it'll come across. 
in the performance that we'll see something that is uh something that i would expect from a much more sort of um seasoned actor seasoned actor i agree yeah then then someone like this and it makes sense in her fashion choices too when you see her on the red carpet (laughs) that in i think she just has this innate self-confidence and is confident in her expression uh she was incredible loved her yeah, I mean, I, I felt similarly. She presents very young, especially mm-hmm. without makeup on. Like, I was like, is she 16? Is she 18? She's actually 28. So, She's 28? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that explains some things for me. Yes. Because watching mm-hmm. her, assuming she was still a teenager, I was like, how does she know? Yeah. How is she this capable? Mm-hmm. Because oh. this subject matter, to me, I think you need – and this is why I say I'm so surprised it's a YA novel because it f- does feel like complex, mature themes to try to tackle, especially as an actor. Mm-hmm. And and afterwards, when I was like, oh, okay, she's 28. That makes a little bit more sense because at first I was like, how? You are wise beyond your years. I don't know how you're doing this. <laughs> yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Yeah, she's really interesting. Um, I never really got fully attached to her character at all, but I feel like... You know, because she's murdering and eating people. Mm -hmm. But she's really great. Like, she has a very good rawness and a physicality. Ah. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I can't. The puns. I can't. Sometimes I don't even mean it. It's so easy. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) There is something very sexual about her. Mm -hmm. And she did so great in the like the finger eating scene and just with the <sighs> physicality of, of of being a cannibal it was really really great mm-hmm. i don't think s- character wise and story wise this reached the depths that it could have in terms of her performance and and her story yeah. but she was she was really great and how about our boy timmy oh yeah oh when timmy came on the screen i was so happy <laughs> up until that point I was like I don't know if I can watch this movie I I watched you know I've watched some fucked up movies but for some reason this one was like I was having a tough time with it <laughs> and when he got on screen I was like okay there's a warmth here mm-hmm. I love watching him like it did it made it easier for me to watch this movie the fact that he was in it <laughs> he is so perfectly cast as this character yeah. he it because if he didn't just have all of that natural sort of innate empathy and warmth, then this character would just mm-hmm. be a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because he looks like Timothy Jalamet and because <laughs> he has all of that warmth, mm-hmm. you can understand the allure and attraction. And kind of like what you said, Helen, about Florence Pugh when we were talking about The Wonder a couple of episodes ago, where you said she's just this innate actor. It's just mm-hmm. she makes it look so easy. Yeah, he does that. He has that same quality. It's yeah. like you know that it's totally. not easy. He's, yeah. he's it's craft and just making decisions, but it appears effortless. And there's a yeah. magic to that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. He's so compelling. I actually I don't think this is his best performance, but I still think he's great. I still think yeah. he, that he really works. His presence is undeniable. Let's talk about Mark Rylance. Uh-huh. Um, oh, okay. okay. We can talk about Mark Rylance. <sighs> Mark Rylance. Okay. <laughs> Mark Rylance worked for me in Bridges Spies. Hell yes. And he has not worked for me since. And oh. there's something that I appreciate about him, but if he's not in a Spielberg movie, to me, like, he just doesn't feel like he's too much of a character. It's like it, he works in mm. a Spielberg movie because that's what Spielberg movies are like. But as we chatted about in The Fablements. <laughs> but right. there was he looked great he looked uh-huh. like somebody it's a character that was believable but to yeah. me yeah. i was like this is a character and everybody else feels more real and then i saw michael stuhlberg oh, i fucking fuck, love yeah. michael stuhlberg in this movie and when he came on the screen he was yeah. genuinely off-putting and he Terrifying. was scary in a realistic way and i yeah. thought oh man if he was sully yeah. And he kept coming back. I would be into this. I th- actually had a thought. I wonder if he was supposed to be Sully. Mm, interesting. I, I don't know why. I just been. thought, yeah, I just thought, I wonder, yeah. But I think maybe that just would have been too 
on the nose. Like Sully is a caricature, but because he is almost clownish, you can see him as your sort of mystical guide, that sort of archetypal character right. that, that Marin might need at the beginning of the film. Whereas like, Michael Stuhlberg's character is just terrifying. He's a predator. He's just a predator through and he's through. just terrifying. So if yeah. if he were her first meet, you yeah. would, every single true. ounce of you That's would true. say, but run, girl, run. However, they met him and they sat down and they sat by the campfire with them and told mm-hmm. stories and Timmy mm-hmm. looked very relaxed. Timmy did, but she didn't and you weren't mm-hmm. as an audience member. You thought this right, can only go but wrong. that's not to mm-hmm. say that in the first scene, if we had met him as Sully, that he could not have brought that. Mm. Yeah, that's right? a fair point. Yes. You yes. don't know because we, we weren't given that. But that's not okay, to that's say that he point. could not have brought that from the beginning. Because yes. Michael Stuhlberg can play a quiet, soft, oh my God. Call gentle by your character. Name. We know yes. this man. <laughs> oh, he's such a good actor. Yeah. I adore yeah. him. Yeah. What about technical? Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, cinematically really beautiful. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Arsene Kachaturan was the cinematographer for this. Just stunning. I mean, yeah. really incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Well, and if you look at this film as even just as a road trip movie, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Like these landscapes and, you know, just some of the driving shots are so gorgeous. And I really enjoyed the style of the film, too. Like, we got, definitely mm. got a sense in some of the scenes that the camera's just following the actors. You know, mm-hmm. we're not on a dolly. Mm-hmm. This is a handheld shot. It's a bit shaky, but it feel, it felt like theater. Like, when uh, Marin leaves the hospital that her mother's at and has that scene with Lee, I, that was such a great scene. And it was it really felt alive. Like, it really felt like, okay, we're just going to follow them and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the so, road trip element to this, I was like, is this a cannibalism crossroads? Because <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> going to find her mother. <laughs> well, I mean, Wikipedia classifies this movie as romantic horror road film. Right. <laughs> like that's how it, what it's called on Wikipedia, yeah. <laughs> which I find really funny. You, Luca uh, Guadagnino is a really exceptional director at setting an atmosphere and creating mm-hmm. an atmosphere that feels complete. It feels like it fills every frame, every inch of the screen. You believe this world and every element of it. And I think working with that cinematographer who just had it shot so beautifully was mm-hmm. so. It was just really, really stunning i thought the blood looked amazing actually it was very much yeah. this, this rusty grimy yeah characters covered in it, it, it there's it a was... lot of blood in this movie yeah oh, yeah the score is trent reznor and atticus ross i didn't yeah. actually know that going in there yeah i mean i didn't either i did clue into it there was one point in the film where i heard the score and i was like oh that sounds like the downward spiral like that sounds like mm. nine inch nails and I <laughs> thought, oh, this must be Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And it's a really good fit, for sure. Yeah. And I read that they were just on board with doing this yeah. lovers that are cannibal road trip <laughs> movie. They were just on board with it. When... I mean, I think these two just keep knocking it out of the park, yeah. like for real. I, I, I feel like the score in this film it blew me away it, it really captured this sort of like synthy vibes of the 80s mm-hmm. but then also the sort of acoustic folky just like creepy single strum guitar thing of the like mid open midwest yeah. um I, I and it all just came together it was like there were times where it was sort of swelling romance and then there were times where it was dark and foreboding and mm-hmm. and dread dread filled and i yeah i thought it was so well done yeah really unique yeah, there's so many 80s bangers in this, but also oh, yeah. that's kind of a Luca Guadagnino staple now, I guess. There's yeah, that's that in true. Call Me By Your Name as well. And also, he puts a lot of literature in his movies yeah. as well. Characters are always reading, and he makes the mm-hmm. books very prominent. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I did like those little Easter eggs that, mm-hmm. that were throughout. All right, what's the last word on Bones and All, Helen? Yeah, this movie. <laughs> when I left, I kept in my head, just kept repeating, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. <laughs> like, especially that final scene, it just, it threw me for a loop. I was 
kind of on board up until that point, and then I was just like, mm. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know when why. Did you eat some? Yeah, it just it didn't yeah. click for me. It didn't make sense that 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 final scene. I get that it's explosive and like very bloody, but this movie is definitely not for everybody. <laughs> it's for probably <laughs> just a select few, to be honest. But there was a lot of interesting things about this movie. Um, and it has really made me think. So that's something. Yeah, I'll echo a large chunk of that. The film started strong. It kind of fell apart for me at the end mm-hmm. um, for much of the same reasons. I Something that I appreciate about this film, or I'll say I appreciate about Timothy Chalamet doing this film, mm-hmm. is this is not a movie for everybody. It's not going to be a box office hit. No. He is now, the, he is the, the biggest young star in Hollywood. For right? sure. And yeah. he doesn't need to do these films and his agents and man. Well, and he, will... he produced this movie too. Right. They will be wanting him to take, make bank, yeah. right? When he is making it with Dune. Mm-hmm. But I love that he's, that he's making these smart choices. This is an offbeat movie. His like teen fans are going to be <laughs> swallowing every drop. <laughs> um, and yeah, I appreciate that. I thought that the film could have focused more on, Marin's mm. sort of emotional reckoning with what's happening. But I did find it enjoyable to watch. Sinclair? Yeah, overall, there is just something about this that felt a bit incomplete. Mm. And there were some really great moments, but I, I don't think this is his best work. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there are some really good moments in this. And I love the soundtrack and I love watching Timothy Chalamet Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of this that make it worth it so I think it is worth checking out for Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm -hmm. but something left me a bit empty at the end of this one This week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. And that theme, in keeping with the thematic tones of our first film, is... Must have been something I ate. <laughs> this is our week in entertainment. Um, uh, no idea at all what any of you, either of you picked. That's mm-hmm. kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, Helen, why don't you go first? I watched a movie from 2020 called Gretel and Hansel. Uh, Gretel and Hansel. Have either of you seen this? Absolutely not. This is with the redhead, right? The redhead yeah. girl? Yeah. Sophia Lillis. Directed mm. by Osgood Perkins. Oz yeah. Perkins, who directed I'm have the I Pretty Thing this? That Lives I in the House. I might have seen this, yeah. So, yes. This is directed by Oz Perkins, starring Sophia Lillis, Samuel Leakey, and Alice Cridge. Most people know the story of Hansel and Gretel, siblings who are lost in the woods and happen upon a house made of gingerbread. A witch lives inside and uses the house to lure children and eat them. The fairy tale itself is dark, as most Grimm Brothers stories are, and this rendition really leans into the darkness. Oz Perkins decided to invert the title and put Gretel at the forefront to make it a somewhat coming-of-age story for her and to put her as the focus of the film. This is my jam. Mm-hmm. Oh. I really liked this movie. Cool. I love a witch story. You love a witch. Uh-huh. I especially love exploring dark fears from childhood stories. As I said already, Oz Perkins directed I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. And Claire, you and I saw that at we TIFF saw years Tiff. ago. Yeah, yeah. It's um, a good throwback. And that film is very stylized. Yeah. So is this one. You know, his style is a bit jarring. And it's... Uh, very atmospheric and this movie has that there's some great imagery in this movie particularly of the witch and witches throughout the film we get images of of witches and it's very very creepy and it's it like takes these ideas you had as a kid that scared you as a kid and like lets you get scared by them as an adult yeah which i really like that's fun yeah 
there's also some really cool CGI in this movie. So there's a moment where Sludge comes out of a drain and then it morphs into the witch. Ooh. It's really cool. There were moments where I felt like this was a little Guillermo del Toro-esque. It has that vibe. Um, So food and hunger plays a huge role in this story. Um, Hansel and Gretel are banished from their home by their mother because she cannot afford to feed them anymore. She's like, Mm. you have to leave. I can't feed you. Um, So they're starving going through the woods. They happen upon Mm -hmm. some magic mushrooms and eat them and then they go on a hallucinatory trip. (laughs) When they reach the witch's house, it is not made of gingerbread. It's a very like angular, dark, very creepy looking house. But inside there is just a platter of decadent food. All the one most wonderful, beautiful foods you can imagine. And they go in. I mean, you make that face now, but wait till I tell you. So (laughs) they go in and they, you know, they're eating and they get brought in by the witch. You realize later that she has like a bucket of like the entrails from the all the children that she's killed. Oh, my God. That she puts on a a table and then she pulls this like chunky arm out of a bin that's been like preserved in this this barrel puts it on a table and then she morphs it all into the food oh my she's god been serving them. okay so you just went whole hog for cannibalism on this episode <laughs> yeah i guess anyway this is this is really good if you like a dark fairy tale like me um i recommend it <laughs> i loved that i <laughs> guess i did anyway this is really good i liked it a lot <laughs> And I was looking up Oz Perkins and what he's doing next. And he has a film called Long Legs starring Nicolas Cage. And there is zero information about it. But I am excited to see what that might be. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Eddie? Okay. So my pick is from 1987. Mm-hmm. And it's Jaws the Revenge. Oh. oh. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. <laughs> So let me tell you, first off, why I picked it. So one of um, our friends, Sinclair Gabe, he posted on his, on his Instagram story that he had got like a poster of this film that was had a screening at the Review Cinema last week. Mm. And it was all Christmassy, like a big Christmas mm. tree on the poster. And I, we know Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. I have seen Jaws 80 times. I've seen Jaws 2 probably 10 to 15 times. I had only ever seen this film, Jaws of Revenge, like once, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. So I did not remember, but I was like, is this a Christmas movie? (laughs) And turns out, yeah, it it is. (laughs) So I thought that was cool. And for the theme of Must Have Been Something I Ate, I mean, (laughs) it is self-evident except it's even more because really the entire story of of this film which is entirely preposterous is taking that theme but like having it voiced by the shark because Hmm. must have been something he ate because he just keeps coming back for more so this film opens with ellen brody and Ellen Brody is Lorraine Gary, right? She was the wife of Chief Brody in the very first Jaws film. And so she was in the second film. None of them were in the Jaws 3. That was stupid. And then she's back in this one. And she's back because at the beginning of the film, her son, Sean, gets eaten by this shark on a boat in Amity. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, my husband died from a shark. My son has died from a shark. It's it's after me it's personal Mm. and so her other son michael he's a a biologist or something but he lives in the bahamas so she go leaves and goes to the bahamas surrounded by water good idea Mm -hmm. surrounded by water yeah but there's (laughs) really like very there are no real great whites in the bahamas it's too warm for them um so she goes to the bahamas the shark follows them somehow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it knows that Hop. she's hopped in an airplane and flown, like you know, Sully. to, to yep. an entirely different nation um, and follows them there. So it's totally outrageous and stupid. This is not <laughs> a film that people like like in the Jaws, you know, <laughs> uh, series. It's, it is pretty bad. But what's interesting is that it's not as bad. Like, actually, that's the only thing that's bad about it. Like, the 
the story, basically mm. like the, the what So the happens. most important thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the dialogue is actually not bad. The dialogue is actually pretty strong. That's and I was like, surprising. Yeah, I wondered. It is totally surprising. I And I watched the whole thing being like, there's a lot of funny moments. There's a lot of like adult kind of sexy, confident moments. It was actually well-written dialogue, but just the story itself is garbage. Right. But it's still fun. Mario Van Peebles is in it, playing this, like, young marine biologist named Jack, and he's so gorgeous. And Michael Caine is in it. (laughs) Michael Caine plays Hoagie, who becomes Ellen's, like, new kind of boyfriend. He may be a drug smuggler. He lives in the Bahamas. Um, The shark eats his plane. It's a lot. But... It it sounds more Sharknado. Last yeah. Jaws. Yeah, but yeah. So I enjoyed this movie, despite it being completely ludicrous. And and somehow, despite like even though it, it's actually filmed 12 years after the original Jaws, mm-hmm. the shark it, like looks way more budget. Really? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But anyway, Jaws Revenge. It's uh, my new favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what did you pick, Sinclair? Okay, I watched My Dinner with Andre oh. um, from 1981, directed by Louis Mall, starring Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. Quick synopsis. Uh, two old friends meet for dinner as one tells anecdotes detailing his life experiences and the other notices their differing worldviews. Uh, so this is a very famous movie because mm-hmm. it is truly unique. The whole movie is basically these two friends at dinner talking. That's the movie. So okay. this has really been parodied in pop culture. It's been mm. referenced in pop culture. Like it's it's very much known for being this movie where these two characters just sit and have dinner and talk. Hmm. Yeah, it's like if you went to any restaurant and just picked a table and put a camera on the two people there and then just listened to them talk for like mm. an hour half or whatever so basically andre gregory and wallace sean play themselves ish so their character names are their actual names right yeah they are both artists and performers and the crazy thing is is that andre gregory shows up for this dinner like wallace sean hasn't really wanted to see him so it's kind of like going to dinner with that friend you don't really want to talk to or hear about their life but Andre Gregory shows up and just sits down and just starts talking about himself Mm. for like almost an hour oh wow just him talking (laughs) for an hour and what's Wallace Shawn doing great question Wallace Shawn is kind of nodding. He's he is showing interest mm. and he's asking questions, but it, the focus is very much Andre Gregory, and it it's like your annoying friend that just won't stop talking about themselves. Mm. Um, and you're just sitting there going like, okay, okay, will this person? Can I talk? Like, you know, that's probably how you feel maybe about me, Edison. Um, no. <laughs> so. Basically, Andre Gregory is talking for like an hour of this movie to the point where it's become really meditative and you're almost like going in and out of his Mm. conversation as an audience member. Yeah, yeah. And then Wallace Shawn finally starts talking and I think that's when the movie gets really interesting is when they start going back and forth and actually debating. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this talks a lot about being an artist and wondering if you need to live a really exciting life in order to be an artist because Mm -hmm. the first hour of this film is just Andre Gregory talking about all these crazy experiences he's had going out traveling the world he's quit school like he's gone out and really experienced you know drugs and other actors and traveling and climbing mountains and all this stuff and Wallace Shawn feels like he has become very comfortable and quite content with just staying at home and just 
having a cup of coffee every day Mm -hmm. and enjoying the company of his wife and enjoying the comforts of this simple life. Right. And so what is what sort of new experiences or variables are being introduced into that life to trigger artistic creativity? So he's saying, but do they have to? Do you have to Mm. go out and do all of these things for your life to be worth living? Can you not enjoy the simplicity of a life as well? You know, Mm -hmm. what makes one thing more valid than the other? Yeah, yeah. And so they go back and forth with this and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because neither one is in the wrong, neither one Mm. is right. They just both have these differing opinions and it is kind of like going out to dinner with your friends and just going back and forth and arguing and and debating and all of it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. You know, I think about some of the debates we've had just going out and eating dinner. And yeah, it's, like Jessica it, Simpson does. Ju- oh yeah, God, exactly. Yeah. Our Jessica Simpson debate. Like, does it matter at the end of the day? Yeah. Really? Yes. What matters was you spent a dinner with your friends and you mm-hmm. discussed these things. And yeah, well, I, I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we see them like order their food, get their food, yes. eat their food? Yeah, it's just like they're having a dinner. So okay. is the- it? Uh, question part two. Yeah. Does their food come in an appropriate amount of time? Yes. Because that's something that drives me fucking crazy about yes. film and TV when someone orders something and then they get it like two minutes later and you know it's because the scene is only going to be five minutes long. But I'm like, the food would never come out that fast. Yes. <laughs> because, that, because this movie is their dinner and right. it has nowhere else to go other yeah. than their dinner. Yeah. Then you're just experiencing it as you would in real time. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is scripted. Yeah. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, oh, surprise, it's improvised. Like, it wasn't. Uh, It was a scripted piece, but. Some parts probably weren't. Yeah. You know, it just, Mm. it's interesting because it kind of just feels a little bit like both. Right. This could have very much been a play. Mm-hmm. Um, totally, but they were like, "Let's let's do it as a film." Mm. But this could have been a play for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting to watch this because it is really referenced a lot in mm. in pop culture, and it really made its mark on film history. So it's it's it, parts of it are hard to get through. Yeah, oh, because God. it I would is have just such a hard talking. time. I think. <laughs> yeah, I would be it really blind. relies on good performers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's such a unique movie that it mm, makes it yeah. worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. So cool. Yeah. That is cool. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on an Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome to get access to a monthly special episode. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And bon appetit. A, a quick <laughs> glass of Chianti. Oh, God. <laughs> uh.